This episode of AVXL is recorded on December 17th, 2020. We're going to talk about HBO, Mac, Roku, and PS5. Picture presets, they are your friend. Your pad replacements, Vizios, Elevate, AVR, Power Recommendations. And don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us. Testing, one, two, three. All right, I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. There is so much to talk about today. I was chatting to a friend of mine who works for a site we talk about, who's been doing it for a while, and, and, and she's a contact point for all of the vendors. We're laughing because uh, all these companies are announcing products literally running up to the end, right a biscuit before Christmas. Right. Uh, she actually was dealing with at least one announcement that was supposed to come December 21st. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, on the PR side, getting some information about some products that are coming out. And she was amazed how there'd been this lack of releases throughout most of 2020. And then suddenly in November, people started popping out of the woodworks. In a lot of cases, these are super high-end vendors or, or people we're not going to talk about because of the particular area they're targeting. We don't do a lot of fancy headphones for stylish people who consider themselves to be influencers. Oh, wait. Influencers. Which other the end. Influencers. Excellent. Yeah, it's been crazy, and it's going to be a little crazy in January uh, as various and sundry reach out to us with various and sundry amounts of information. That's just all I'm going to say. The hype is real, <laughs> we'll man. keep you posted. <laughs> the hype is real. <laughs> You've already had at least one or two briefings from major television manufacturers. I'm trying to figure out which speaker companies are still s functioning. <laughs> you know, most of the subwoofers we talked about being back in stock last week or the week before are back out of stock. Oh. SBS still has inventory. The higher, all the higher priced shoe products are in stock. Some of the higher priced monoprice subwoofers that we've talked about are still in stock. Um, speed woofers are out. I just, it's been amusing to me tracking the great subwoofer off of 2020 or the subwoofer outages. <laughs> exactly. I want to say back in October, we were warning people that if you had a particular item in mind for your home theater experience, try to pick it up earlier than later. If it's something you want on the, uh, on the shelf or in the house or on the table or what have you before the end right. of the year anyway. <laughs> It's been crazy, especially also looking at if I click on Amazon Prime. Oh, there's still a few left. It's It's been, it looks like the AVR S650H is available. The 4500H is available from Denon. 3600 and 3700 I don't think are in stock at some places. In any case, if you waited this long, good luck. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Be creative and crafty in your shopping. I am seeing some LG OLED still on available at least through the usual sources however i'm not seeing anything at quote-unquote excellent sale prices it seems like the uh, full prices are back in effect at least for a, a little while longer <laughs> i have to go to costco later today and it'll be interesting to see what the television stocks look like the mountain of televisions by the front door strategically placed eye grabbing what we're excited about this week, uh, HBO Max has finally, HBO Max and Roku have come to a deal. Also, the PS5 uh, now has support for HBO Max. I don't know if there's anything to add to this. Not really. 46 million active users on Roku, which means hopefully for HBO Max's sake, there will be a big old fat 
bump on HBO Max subscribers, which are looking a little thin right now compared to Netflix or Disney+. HBO Now subscribers on Roku should automatically convert to HBO Max as of today-ish. Excellent. Finally, it doesn't matter if you have your Roku or your PlayStation 5, you now have access to HBO Max. If you're anticipating all these Warner Brother releases about to happen, (laughs) more options. Good for everyone. Roku OS 9.3 and later, it should be available on Amazon Fire devices. And of course, it's been available on Apple TV for quite some time. It would not surprise me to see them, in terms of HBO Max at least, double their numbers in terms of subscribers over deals like these where they're just adding lots of active users, or at least the option for these uh, platforms to be potential customers for HBO Max. Wow. It can't hurt. (laughs) Let's just say Wonder Woman for all on Christmas Day. (laughs) Speaking of HBO Max, at WeeBay78 tweets, listening to episode 126, Warner Brothers did say that all of the D&D Movies would be 4K HDR, the rest of the uh, appearances during 2021. Wonder Woman 84 is the first title. Personally, I'm happy. I'll see movies I might not have otherwise, but understand new deals need to be made for creators. Disney had the kind of one of their big events a, f- uh, a few days ago last week. Um, it all bleeds together this year. But they did not announce anything as extreme as Warner saying they were going to release all of their titles simultaneously uh on HBO Max didn't need to do anything like that. I think partially because they don't have to and partially because they don't want to because there's a huge amount of money to be made. They had their big experiment with Mulan with releasing that. And there were some people who said Mulan made like $261 million when they released it this summer. And there are others who say it was more like $35 million. And if you're familiar with tracking box office in opening day weekends, $35 million would be great for an art house film or a minor minor movie, but it would not be anything remotely near considered successful for a tentpole feature. And that means one of two things. They can't release without theater, or if they do release without theater, they don't make as much money because they don't have a major windows where it's theater only. Then the amount of money they have to spend on tentpole features is going to radically, radically shrink. Bring them in to the new streaming platforms. Period. Uh, Somebody was complaining, how could Disney do what they did with Mulan? And it's really easy. They spent years training people that, you know, DVDs or blueberries would be available, then they would go back into the Disney vault. And they created this concept of scarcity for availability on beloved uh, classic titles or beloved titles or titles you hate, but your toddler can't live without. So you want to, you know, you wanted to have a disc of it. So there's a huge chunk of Disney enthusiasts that are used to the idea that these titles will only be available for a short time. So I can totally see them all freaking out and spending $30 on Mulan or, you know, whatever other wondrous thing comes out of Disneyland for our amusement. We'll see. Picture presets are your friend. I like that. It sounds so nice. (laughs) They are. I'm thinking specifically for televisions or even projectors nowadays have a variety of picture presets that are there to make it easy to quickly optimize your picture quality. For any display device, be it a projector or a TV, one thing you want to always check is that it has the latest firmware updates. An auto check feature is nice. 
especially nowadays with some of the latest TVs shipping with little quirks or new formats pop up and things aren't quite the way they should be, often that is something that will be addressed by a firmware update. And it's good just to have that out of the way. So maybe the thing that was wrong or quirky before is suddenly less so or not at all, which is great. For your picture presets, if things are in an unknown state, literally somebody was messing around with all of them or some of them or who knows what, reset them. For every picture preset, generally at the bottom of the menu, you'll find a reset option specific to that preset. So if you don't want to mess with other or do a global reset, you can do just that one preset and put it back to the factory defaults, which is a good place to start. And then literally pick the one that looks the best to your eye for a given room setup. Some presets mm -hmm. are optimized for darkroom viewing environments where it is expected that the lights will be out and you will be able to receive that lessened brightness of a picture or something that is truly optimized for darkroom viewing in an appropriate way. Likewise, if you never view TV in a darkened room environment or rarely do so, you wanna go through some of those other picture presets that can bump up the brightness and the color to help compensate for what room lighting does to a picture be it for, right. this is speaking mostly for TVs. People with projectors have their own issues that we can get into some other time, but <laughs> strictly for that. Don't ask any questions, Mr. Norton. <laughs> anytime, well, man, it's, anytime. Well, I was laughing though, because my projector, I'll have to double check because I just did an update. I don't know if anything changed, but it has dynamic, natural, bright cinema, cinema, black and white cinema, and digital cinema which I thought was kind of a, a lot of cinematic options, to Indeed. say the least. <laughs> Consider even for your HDR and standard dynamic range sources, or at least the presets on the TV, when those formats are enabled, right. they will have their own picture preset options as well. So when you do kick in, say, a Dolby Vision content that's streaming, and you're looking at that on a particular television, Dolby has actually, in most TVs that support Dolby Vision content, will be two presets, one labeled Cinema and one labeled Cinema Home. And that Cinema Home preset is actually brightened significantly to make it look a little bit better with some room lighting. Whereas that Cinema function looks fantastic when it's a pitch black room and you're just sitting there able to focus right on the screen itself. Some HDR streaming devices, including my brand new Roku Ultra, by default will convert everything automatically to an HDR format. I believe it does it to Dolby Vision if it's compatible. And you may not want that on 24 seven with a particular display type in particular. OLEDs. <laughs> I would rather not run that TV at its max 24-7. Right. In order to find those specific settings, and I know products like Apple TV also incorporates functionality like that as well, where by default it is doing some HDR up conversion for everything. But I find that with OLED displays, you generally don't want them running at that max brightness 24-7. It will just wear the display harder when it doesn't actually have to be. When you are displaying that content, of course, have the TV go into its bright mode and colorful mode and give you the right. eye candy you deserve. But for things like menus and just turning the device on and off, I'd prefer it not in that brightest mode of all. And digging into the menus on these devices to find those specific settings can be a challenge. Uh, Roku hides it well deep in the menus under something called advanced display settings with the function being labeled HDR always on. And of course, while I was in there, I had to turn on 422 output as well, but... Why not? <laughs> Why not? Don't try to manually do like a 10-point IRE calibration with your Mark I eyeball, unless you want to... <laughs> exactly. And be aware, too, that 
<laughs> when TVs kick into an HDR mode for displaying that type of content, they're typically right. doing drastic adjustments to the various picture settings on purpose in order to achieve what the TV expects the settings to be. And it's good not to just go in there and change them willy nilly. Do take advantage of those presets and simply cycle through them until one catches your eye. That's like, hey, you know what? That looks really good for this particular room environment. And it may be labeled something like standard or dynamic or vivid. It may be the one that works the best for a relatively bright room environment. If you are in a dark room though, select something more appropriate. <laughs> You can back off at that point, but there's no need to blow your eyeballs out, people. Totally. Totally. <laughs> do not fear those picture presets and do not fear resetting that picture preset if things, you know, are questionable. Somebody might, may have been in there tweaking things to their heart's content. And those firmware updates again. Uh, my first right. point will be my last. It's just with new TVs and as complicated as they are, there are always going to be updates, especially in the first few months just to fix the many things that usually crop up, the little things that crop up, just to give things. you the smoothest experience possible. <laughs> the maddening things. Yes, little things. <laughs> <laughs> little things that drive you crazy. One of the things I want to talk about briefly is the why of multiple subwoofers. I was laughing in pre-show and maybe in the show earlier was that a lot of subs are sold out right now. <laughs> I think I just mentioned this. Uh, a lot of the really high quality entry level subs are out there like SVS still have some, uh, Monoprice still has some, speed woofers are out uh, or they've, they've stopped taking orders because they're so backlogged filling orders. Shoes entry level uh, subwoofer is out, although there are higher price ones are out there. And Something we want to point out, especially in the context of a couple questions we'll answer later in the show, is small speakers essentially have no sub bass or deep bass. That's 60 hertz and below. For music, that is kind of important. It becomes less important somewhere below 30 hertz, somewhere around 30, 35 hertz, unless you you know listen to a lot of you know jazz with tuba in it, which I do. Um, but that's a conversation about my limitations as a human being for another day. But uh, you know it becomes incredibly critical if you listen to a lot of action movies or stuff that has big booms and explosions and thuds. Even tower speakers have issues. Uh, Brent Butterworth has a great line in an article he wrote: "Because you have to position your tower speakers well, they'll deliver the." best stereo imaging, which is not where they'll deliver the smoothest bass response. And that applies to music and home theater. So one of the reasons we've talked about it in the past, multiple subs are about canceling room modes. That's the big bumps and dips in the decibel levels for, at different frequencies based on the location of your sub in the room and how it interacts with the room acoustics. And that's why you do the speaker crawl. <laughs> yeah. You literally can walk around a room with a sound meter. Once the speakers are set up and you're right. doing something like a, a broadband test tone or something, you'll walk around and you'll hear it and you'll see it on the meter in terms of where certain right. dips will form within that room. And those are called those room modes itself. Being able to place that sub right in that spot can go a long way. It's actually the considered the best spot to put it is where that dip occurs. That helps, in a sense, even out the response of the room. Right. Likewise, if you have multiple subs, it's nice to be able to track down where those room modes are and actually yeah. locate them appropriately. 
Rob's talking about the fancy subwoofer crawl. The traditional subwoofer crawl is you put the subwoofer in the king seat, in the sweet spot, in the queen seat, you know, in the prime seat in your home theater. And then you literally crawl around the room listening for where your bass track that's playing sounds, you know, most even. And then hopefully you put the speaker, the subwoofer in that location, which can be problematic. Uh, in at least one home I was in where the perfect location for the subwoofer was in front of the fireplace. Exactly. <laughs> We're talking idealized situations where you could actually put the speaker anywhere or the subwoofer anywhere. Yeah. Generally, if you're lucky, those room modes will occur Mm -hmm. along walls, hopefully somewhere where it won't stick out like a sore thumb when you actually locate that sub in its final spot. If you can, if you if you have the money and the space and you can make it happen, two is a big jump over one in terms of canceling room modes where maybe you put you know, one to the far left and one to the far right of the seated position. Uh, four is better, but it gets really complicated. And depending on who you're asking or which study you're looking at, it should be four in the middle of all four walls or four in each corners. But we'll talk about this this more sometime in the, in the future. But essentially, it's mostly about making the sweet spot for the low base bigger at the seated position. Cool. It's kind of crazy because I essentially have two subwoofers in my tower speakers right now, which I've been pulling away from the back wall to see how far I can get them into the room before the cat or my children destroy them. But that's a conversation for another day. That is one of the nice things, at least of dealing with a subwoofer, is that it's probably the most movable of the speakers that you'll be in. deploying and whereas the other ones typically have to stay where they're at within a small degree of whatever but that sub could be moved around until you can do something like use it to cancel out it's not necessarily 100 percent canceling these room modes but it is evening them more so than they would be without having that sub placed properly at gonzo 90017 tweets ear pads from a bose qc 25s to split open should i go with the oem ones or do you know third parties that are just as good or better. Appreciate any recommendations. So Bose factory ear pads are available, uh, which is good. If you have particularly peculiarly shaped ear pads, like my beloved uh, AudioQuest Nighthawks, which are no longer being made, and AudioQuest has sold off their remaining stock of ear pads, uh, hopefully to someone who will be reselling them or remaking them. But that's a problem, right? With certain headphones, if they have really, really peculiar ear pads, if your ear pads wear out, and they do wear out, I have many examples in my history. Uh, it can be problematic. Fortunately, uh, Bose has sold about a billion QC25s. Uh, you can still get the factory ear pads. If they're comfortable, you like them, they're a great way to go. They're 35 bucks from Bose.com. Uh, you can also pick them up on Amazon. Amazon has some that look like, or at least use the factory picture for under 20 bucks. They might be the same ear pad. They might not. The only way to find is to buy them. If you want to experiment, uh, two names that come to mind are Dakoni and Wicked Cushions. Wicked Cushions seem to be making their version of the factory ear pads. Uh, Dakoni has a suede and leather. I've purchased Dakoni ear pads once or twice with money out of my own happy little pockets, and they make a quality ear pad in my experience. I've only I've only seen them a couple times at Can Jam. I purchased one of their ear pad sets. The quality was good. Uh, they offer both leather and suede ear pads for headphones. Uh, There is a concept for a certain type of audiophile uh, enthusiast, I would say geek, but I'm being generous, I'll call it enthusiast, where they use different configurations of ear pads, leather versus velour, punched leather versus unpunched leather, sort of tweak the sound. 
I think this is more subtle than you would think based on reading the blog entries. The suede ones look really comfortable. Oh, yeah. If you are looking for a replacement earpad, those are from Dakoni, and I think they've got those in stock for like 30 bucks. They also do a leather one. Dakoni, I think, does a good job. I've heard nice things about Wicked Cushions, but I have not tested any of their earpads myself. So... Fortunately, also, earpads should be easy to replace on these. And at least one set of headphones, I know you have to basically peel, yank, rip the old earpad off of the drive plate and then remove the old glue and then glue the new ones on. Yikes. Which is a nightmare. So one thing to think about is you're, if you're, especially if you're investing uh, hefty amounts of cash on headphones is to think about at some point you will have to replace those ear pads if you use them enough and how traumatic or expensive an experience that might be. So if you fall in love with the ear headphones, buy an extra set of ear pads just in case they stop making them in the future. Did you see the tweet from Element J? I did. He tweets, Element J did anyway, Vizio elevates soundbar versus Sonos Arc with surrounds. What's your recommendation? And does the elevate with its rotating speakers make a difference or is it just a gimmick? For any of these next gen speaker systems that are incorporating things like Dolby Atmos nowadays is number one, mm -hmm. Do you have a source for this content? Are you stepped up on your Netflix or Disney Plus right. or whatever subscription or ultra high def Blu-ray discs? something that features <laughs> the content you can take advantage of. We haven't actually listened to the Elevate in person yet. Uh, Vizio is searching for a review unit to get to us. The folks we've seen reviewing them so far are quite impressed by the upfiring Atmos experience when the speakers do swivel to point straight up. There are some small number of one-star consumer reviews with complaints about that swivel mechanism or some crackling on the surrounds, yeah. but... For the vast majority of folks out there who currently own this, they're giving it four or five stars. Having a single system, too, that incorporates not only the rear channels in addition to a separate subwoofer, that's a nice $1,000 package when you compare that with something, yeah. say, like the Sonos Arc with its surrounds plus a sub, that's pushing the price closer to about $1,900 or about $1,200 if you do it without a sub. I would say it really just comes down to more of what is your budget in terms of what you want to do. I think a Sonos Arc with a sub would be a fantastic simplified setup for just about anyone who doesn't want to deal with rear channels at all. But the Vizio Elevate, I think, is just a tremendous value for what it is in terms of having something that is room filling and loud and with good bass. Yeah. Personally, I absolutely adore my Sonos Arc. I find it to be fantastic, specifically with 3D content like Dolby Atmos. When those tracks come on, something I'm streaming from Netflix or Disney Plus or from a disc, it does give me that sense of sound truly coming from outside the screen itself in a very convincing way. I personally do not have a Sonos Sub. That is something I, if I were using this in any larger of a room, I would definitely want that added <laughs> just to fill in the lower right. roof and give the bar itself sub a little more room. Yeah. Let the sound bar do what it does really well and let the subwoofer take care of the rest. And right. in terms of adding additional surrounds, that is something I really would like to actually hear is a full Sonos Arc setup with their whatever it is, play whatever speakers for the surrounds and one or now two of their subwoofers. Go all out, spend the extra. <laughs> Push that budget well over $2,000 and enjoy. It's a win-win. I would be happy with either one. 
an arc with a pair of one SLs and a sub is going to set you back about $1,800. A uh, second subwoofer is going to bring that up to about $2,500. The current one, which you might think of as the replacement for the Play one, is $200 and has the voice control built into it. Uh, the one SL doesn't have the voice control built into it, costs 20 bucks less. It's all about whether or not you really want the rest of Sonos to go along with that. I find Sonos to be a fantastic way to stream Spotify, Tidal, Cobas, uh, pretty much anything. My RIP CD collection. Your RIP CD collection, yeah. There's some good stuff going on there. Uh, but it's also, you're going to spend a lot more money. Someday, we will actually hear the Elevate up close. People seem to be impressed. The swiveling speakers are not a gimmick. They actually do what they're supposed to do, I guess. Is a good way of putting it. Sweet. At Jiva SQJR tweets, I'm replacing my Sony AV receiver of many years, LOL, with either a Yamaha or Denon. What's the minimum wattage I should go with? I'm using 5.1. I'm in a decent-sized one-bedroom apartment. First thought is there is wattage and there is wattage, and it has gotten better in recent years. But it used to be that the wattage that was quoted on the box is... My personal favorite is like a 1,200-watt home theater in a box. You get it, and you open it, and it's got these little tiny speakers in this little tiny box, and it's 1,200 watts at like 10, 15, 18% distortion, you know, which is completely unlistenable, but technically is, you know, yeah, 1,200 watts, right? Um, Denon especially, I haven't seen uh, test numbers on, on any of the recent Yamaha VRs, but Science Audio Review has been hammering on a bunch of the latest Denon AVRs, and they measure well. They're fairly solid amplifiers into there. You don't really have a lot of choice with an AVR. Unless you spend a metric ton of cash on a high-end AVR, you're typically going to get somewhere between 75 and 100 watts. And if you have all of the money to spend on a home theater AVR, you're probably better off getting a standalone, basically a separate uh, processor and standalone amps for individual channels. Most people don't need that or have the money for that. And most AVRs are going to have somewhere between 75 and 100 watts of power. That will get most speakers up into the 90 plus dB range. If you're sitting 10 feet away from him, I think a 100-watt amplifier in my 3700H on a 88 dB per watt efficient speaker is probably going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of 97 dB of volume, which is well into the permanent hearing damage range if you listen for you know <laughs> any significant length of time. For me, it's about the capabilities of the AV receiver and maybe what the yeah. person would be thinking of doing in the future like currently using 5.1 just about any affordable right. the, the most affordable avrs will be able to do that pretty well if you're thinking of upgrading the television to something that supports 4k and beyond consider an avr with those features as well so it can be the hub for all of your now devices and potentially future devices as well if yeah. you're thinking of doing something like dolby atmos in the future with two or four height channels to augment your current 5.1 setup Consider that as well when shopping for the specific functions that you're looking for. I do find it quite nice to have an individual amp for each speaker I'm planning to drive on that room. So I'm not using a separate right. amp for, you know, those last two channels. That's not such a big deal, really, if you're getting into it that deep. But still, it's just to make sure that, yes, it has the HDMI and the amplification and the channel count. Maybe I want a right. second sub in the future at least have those options ready to go if that's something you're seriously considering because otherwise keep it simple then and save some money if you don't ever plan on doing any of that right and just get, stick to the 
you know, I need to make sure I can support 4K 120 or whatever. Uh, yeah. Good pass-through functionality. The AVR becomes the central hub for your home theater in that scenario, and it makes things nice when all your yeah. gear just plays well, and it's from a product from a company that's doing regular updates and listening to feedback and making it as seamless as possible for your home theater experience. It would be nice. There's kind of an obsession with wattage uh, and amplifiers going back 20, 30 years to when speakers started to becoming insanely inefficient. Not so much the case anymore. No. And literally 75 to 100 watts is going to pump music or soundtracks loud enough to do permanent hearing damage if you listen to them for more than a few minutes. So you're good. I promise you. <laughs> Anything Excellent. Don't worry. If you need more power than that, it's because you're either running massive speakers or you have a huge room, and that's a conversation for another day. And Robert Tafoy tweets, does the HD Fury make a difference in the image quality on a projector? I want to use one with my Epson 4050. Well, what exactly do you want to do with it? The classic use back in the old days was to use an HD Fury for non-HTCP compliant monitors that you'd spend a fortune on, especially projectors. Um, if you have a $20,000 projector, and this was not that unusual five or 10 years ago, and you wanted to play Blu-rays, you were going to need something like an HD Fury to make your uh, screen HTCP compliant. True. That was kind of the original use uh, case. Now, HD Furies are doing a ton of things. I've used them for signal conversion. Yeah. In terms of I needed like an output device that was just SDR. I needed it to be like, say, an HDR compatible device. And it was possible with those types of products to reconvert that signal into whatever flavor you want for output at any kind of color or detail level. That's a very specific use case that's not even close to being as popular as something, say, of dealing with sure. HDCP compatibility issues like those products right. were known for. The latest thing that, that AC Fury is kind of getting noticed for is uh, the Vertex 2, the Diva, the Maestro are, I like this line, enjoy dynamic DV content from LLDV source on any HDR10 display, which is kind of their own version of a white paper, which means bringing Dolby Vision compatibility to HDR10 projectors that don't have Dolby Vision compatibility or televisions for that matter. That is a fascinating use right there. Having yeah. the HD Fury configured in such a way that it is able to then transform that dynamic information from a Dolby Vision source device into a signal that is, even though it's an HDR10 display, recreating a very, should be identical Dolby Vision style experience with dynamic metadata. Yeah. It's giving your projector or a, a compatible TV an HDR10 only device compatibility right. with this content in a way that can actually leverage it in a very compelling way. And it's something I have not personally experimented with, but I see mm -hmm. enough people online and in the forums who have, who seem to appreciate it when it works just yeah. right. For standard HDR10 content, your projector, I think, should be fine. Unless you have a specific problem you're trying to solve or you want to do that Dolby Vision experiment, you don't really need one, but that's up to you. Wesley, a.k.a. at Dr. Mullins, tweets, starting to do some research on 5.2 setups for my bonus room. Primary use will be video and audio. Would you go with Elac or Klipsch or some other brand? I love some punchy bass. What subs would you recommend? I love the show. Longtime listener all the way back to ZDTV. Wow. Howdy, Wesley. I love the performance for the dollar you get from Elac, especially the debut 2.0. I used a set of those speakers in my home theater uh, for a long time. 
A subwoofer, as you, you notice, is going to be a great improvement. That said, given the dearth of entry-level subwoofers being available right now, the nice thing about the Debut 2.0 is that they move a lot of air and they go down fairly low. So you're going to be lacking in the sub-bass frequencies, but the debuts go, I'm pretty comfortable saying they're solid down in the, the mid to low 40s. They're front-vented, so you can push them up to a wall or close to it. I've done both, uh, and, and they work well in that situation. What you choose, though, is going to be really dependent on your budget and the space you have. Um, and given that it's the oldie year old covid uh, what's actually available that you can buy to make a ridiculous statement the consistent theme for the year yeah <laughs> we know what you need we know what we would want <laughs> can we actually can get you it? buy it <laughs> a bargain entry-level setup that are fairly small and a pick by the wire cutter is polk signature series the s15 for the left and right channel s10 for the rear surrounds the s35 for the center i would definitely want to add a subwoofer or two to this uh, when they are available Again, as we talked about earlier in the show, Shoe, SVS, RSL speedwoofers are all amazing. Monoprice has some really great subwoofers. It's just what is literally available. I haven't really heard many of the recent Klipsch models. And if you start spending more than, say, those those uh, ELAC debut 2.0s, the list gets big fast. Uh, ELAC's Unifies, Kef has a bunch of great speakers, Monoprice's Monolith lineup, PSB has some fantastic speakers, the money Q acoustics are, are beloved by a lot of people. The options kind of increase exponentially very rapidly, and I would highly recommend uh, attempting to hear some of them if you can before investing. Nice. Yeah. Some of y'all were kind enough to respond to our call and ask what voice assistants you were using and what you did with them. Uh, Robert F. from Alaska emailed Ask at AVXL. I use Google Assistant with a Google Home and a handful of Google Home Minis. I use them for timers in the kitchen, turning on and off lights, or changing color or brightness with Philips Hue. I also have a Nest thermostat and camera. I'll warm up temps when I wake up or on my way home from work with Assistant. That must be really useful this time of year in Alaska. Thankfully, I still go to work. I also have a few smart outlets to turn on with Assistant lamps, fans, and AC unit in the summer or a crock pot sometimes i tell google to start netflix or youtube as well thanks to robert f from alaska for that i am now ready to get another belkin outlet so my wife can remotely turn on the crock pot that's really tempting exactly. <laughs> Kevin emailed to ask at avxl.com uh he says we have google-based smart speakers in just about every room i'm pretty cheap so i only bought them on sale and the lower red ones, Google or Nest Home Minis, Fulls and Insignia branded ones. I have one Amazon input just because I wanted to sample it, and that was the least expensive. I've got some Hue bulbs and a hub to use with them, and while they're great bulbs, I really only use them with the speakers for turning on and off. We have a ring doorbell in front and a floodlight in back with wise bulbs on the front ports that are tied to the motion sensor on the doorbell with an if this then that recipe. What to replace if this then that with is a challenge now that they are moving to subscriptions. I don't imagine anybody really replacing IFTTT, but uh, if you have thoughts on that, email askadvxl.com. Yeah. He says, we have Roombas upstairs and down. My wife can't operate the manual vacuum, <laughs> so I really like them, but we don't use voice activation. Honestly, the smart lights that work best are just a strip of LEDs in the laundry room with a motion sensor, so they're not really smart. You don't have to do anything. They go on and off on their own, not even speak to things, and they were something like 15 bucks. It's a really good point. I'm at the limit of apps I want to use. Call it app fatigue. These days where I barely leave the house, the smarts aren't really as useful. I use the speakers to turn a few lights on and off and to play podcasts, so the minis are fine. That's my two cents. Kevin in Raleigh, North Carolina.
China. And I apologize for laughing uh, that your wife can't operate the vacuum because I was thinking of a friend of mine's wife. Uh, but I also just remembered another friend of mine's wife can't vacuum because uh, they are disabled. So in any case, I'm glad you found tools that use. We want to thank everybody who uh, took the time to email with what they're using their voice assistance for because we're curious. We have curiosity issues here at AVXL. He's doing a lot of head nodding during this segment. <laughs> going, yes, hey, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Oh, so nice. Although I have seen those LED strips that come with a motion sensor, and those are pretty fantastic and usually available at things like dollar stores for, well, a low price. <laughs> Fun to experiment with. It could be useful for basement lighting now that I think about it. As I look back at the area where the pantry is secreted, I was watching a recent episode of Clive.com, BigClive.com on YouTube, and he was messing with one of those motion-sensing LED light strips as well. It had one torn apart and was showing how it worked, and I thought that was pretty nice. cool. I need to rescan to see if there are any ATSC 3.0 broadcast signals yet in the Bay Area. It's still looking kind of dim at the moment. However, I did see it pop up on the deployment website. Detroit is now receiving their first ATSC 3.0 stations for the next-gen broadcast standard. And I know one other city popped up as well, but either way, if that's something you're thinking of exploring with the latest TVs and tuners, nice. do check out the ATSC website. And I'll throw a link to that in the show notes. So many links. See if there's a potential for it coming to your neck of the woods in map form. <laughs> I'll talk about uh, what I've been watching uh, next week because I, I just added another one last night, and I, I'm two episodes in, and I can't decide if this series is really good or if it's just going to emotionally crush me. So before I get anyone else along on that hell ride, I'm going to ride it out. <laughs> Find out the truth behind this series. <laughs> I'm caught up on The Mandalorian, I think. There might be one episode I'm missing, but I'm, I'm, oh. I'm good enough. I have too many questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of my wife and I's response to watching uh, His Dark Materials on HBO Max was, I have now ordered all of the books, because it feels uh, like any of a number of other fantasy-sourced series that they took three books and... Uh, Condensed it to 90 minutes? <laughs> Not quite as bad as ninety minutes, but it seems I've I have a feeling there's a lot of connective tissue that was that was uh rendered in the process. <laughs> that's a good one. Oh man. Oh my goodness. I'm playing with new VPN clients too, testing out a new service, see if it's any better than my old service, which really had no problems with it, so to speak. Nice. Save for the loss of a canary letter though recently. <laughs> which makes me question everything. Oh. The canary warrant. I'm not even touching that one. Mm, I'm yeah. Just, yeah. just going to keep using PIA and we'll find out what happens in the long run. <laughs> We'll have another episode next week. Hey, I want to thank everybody who tweeted at Patrick Norton and at Robert Heron or at AVXL this week because uh, I, I randomly kind of posted a call for questions because someone was like, how do I ask you a question? And, and I was kind of like, how can you not know? And then I was like, well, you know, ask at AVXL.com or tweet at Patrick Norton or tweet at Robert Heron or tweet at AVXL. Uh, if you're a patron, Patreon com slash avxl and, and we should thank all of our patrons right now uh, everybody who contributes monthly to the show uh, thank you so much for your contributions you make the show possible you help us defray the expenses and you give us a little money for the time which we appreciate and we throw down an early episode 
We do. You get earliest access to the episode. Um, we thank all of you. Uh, but that is another way to ask us a question. If you're a patron, you can message us directly on patreon.com slash AVXL. And with that, man, we're going to talk about the original component color next week. We've got some questions about stuttering uh, with 24P panning. We've got a Bluetooth speaker recommendation and quite a few other things coming up on next week's episode of AVXL. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.